Good morning. And uh, I don't know if you notice it's Christmas time, and uh, uh, it's, it, we're, we're almost there. And by all means, this is a Sunday right before Christmas, so we want to sing through some Christmas songs, right? We always like to do that because it, it, these songs talk about the Lord, and that's what we're here to, we're here to honor Him this morning. So let's uh, just continue our worship time, and let's just sing through some and just follow us, and let's just have a good time uh, singing of the Lord, okay? Thank you. 
Savior is born. We sing songs, songs that belong to the Lord during this time. During this time, there's so much confusion because all mixed in with all the celebration of the celebration, we have songs of silent night, O holy night, O come all ye faithful, hark the herald angels sing, joy to the world. We have all of those mixed in with all of the other things. We've come here today to forget about all those other things. We're here today to worship the Lord and to focus on Him and Him only. So as we go through the rest of this time, let's just remember that this is a special time. And uh, I heard last night there was a guy told me, said, well, you know, you know, Christmas is for the children. No, no, it's not for the children. It's for us all. It's for everybody. Because Christ came for everybody came for you and for me and this son of man and everybody. He came for us. He came to show us the way. So I want you to listen to a song right now because it tells you about the whole, the whole thing about who Christ really is. It's called Sing a Song of Bethlehem. Jesus. 
He is mighty to save. Let's all have a word of prayer, please. Father, we just uh, want to thank you this morning that we come to worship a holy, unique God, a God who is different from any other God that man can come up with. Father, because you are the living God, you are the one who came, you're the one who created us, and you are the one who redeems us and saves us. Father, you are the one who gave up your most prized possession, your own son, to come to come and be a part of this earth, to take on human flesh, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Lord, our, your son was righteous, Lord, and we're not righteous, but God, you sent your son to come so that we can take on his righteousness, and Lord, that we can live with you forever and ever for eternity. And God, we just want to thank you, and we just want to praise you for that this morning. God, as you've, you've come and you've just sown yourself strong in so many ways, Lord, you know, you died on Calvary, but you rose from the dead. And Lord, you are the one who is mighty to save. Only you are the one who is mighty to save. And so God, that's why we're here this morning, to worship you, to honor you, to glorify you, Lord, to just to lift you up and speak well, speak well, as well as we can of you, Lord. And Father, I just thank you that as we have sung these songs this morning, God, it's been uh, just a reminder of who you really are and how you came to save us. Lord, I just pray for the, the rest of this service, Lord. I pray for Dr. Hughley as he comes and brings us the message. And Lord, that it be everything that we need to hear in our heart to grow us more and more like you. So, Father, I just ask you to be with him. Father, be with us. Open our hearts, Lord. I pray that you send your spirit upon the place tonight. And anyone that, here is, that is here that is not recognizing you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I just pray that you would just touch their lives this day. God, be with us now. These things we ask in your name. Amen. As always, I'm very happy to have the opportunity of ministry in our church. So it is today. This morning in the rain and the fog en route to church, we were driven here by the tallest member of our family acting as chauffeur. <laughs> Fortunately, we got here safely and in good order, and he parked close enough so that we didn't get an untimely diffusion of rain upon us in coming into the church. So we got to the right place. My experience was not like the preacher who was scheduled to speak in a Kentucky mountain town. He disembarked from the train and got off and walked around in the little community. He had no idea where he was supposed to go for his preaching appointment. He spotted a gentleman uh, leaning in a chair against the front of one of the little stores. He decided to ask him for directions. And as he approached him, he noted that there were brown lines in the corner of his mouth and a protruding jaw indicating his long-standing habit. He walked up to him and said, uh, Sir, I'm a visitor in this town. I'm a preacher, and I'm, I'm scheduled to speak in one of the churches here. 
I wonder if you could tell me where the church of God is in this town. Well, of course, the gentleman, before he could speak, he had to empty the oral holdings in his mouth, which he did with an expert spew that went on its way. He said, well, let's see now. Church of God. The Baptist church is uh, up the street here and around the corner. And they're Methodists. They, they meet down yonder by the creek in that little building. And the prayers of you, prayers, prayers of you. You had to empty the oral holdings again. <laughs> and the presbyterians, they're right next to the grocery store, right up the street here. But Mr. I just don't know to whether God's got a church in this town or not. <laughs> Aren't you glad that God has a church in this town? And we are here to enjoy it, and we are a part of it. As I said, I'm honored to minister here, as always, this morning. I want to ask a question. Why the particular message listed in your bulletin at this particular time? In an elder meeting recently, when I learned that I would be speaking this morning, we talked about the service. And I said, well, it's just shortly before Christmas. Should we have a Christmas message or something else? And the brothers encouraged me to speak on how the Lord might be leading. And I shared with them what had happened in my own personal study in recent times to our conversation. And I indicated that I'd been studying a particular passage of Scripture, but another passage came to my mind to me with strength. And I wondered, is God saying something to me? And as I reflected upon that text, it seemed that God might, was nudging me in a particular direction. And if I have followed his direction, what you see today is what you get. We trust it's born of God. Christmas is a time when we miss departed loved ones. Moreover, we can't always all be together as family. And that's troubling to us, of course. And there are times when we have limited funds and we can't spend the monies we would like to spend at Christmas time. And of course, there are some families that have obstinate family members and they get together for Christmas dinner in a slight Discussion arises about politics, and suddenly there's a verbal war. All of that and more. We carry our own going worries into the Christmas season, do we not? Recently, I got a call from Julie at work. She never calls me at work unless it's something very particular, if not serious. And she asked me this question. 
Have you heard about Thad? Thad, what? What happened? And I learned about Thad's physical condition and his pending surgery. I was surprised and shocked, as all of us have been. As I studied the text the next day, this passage was strongly in my heart and in my mind. I believe this text, upon which I am speaking today, has a word for our church, a word for our beloved pastor and his wife, a word for all of us at this particular time of the year. And while I was studying this text of Scripture, I'm going to read it in a moment, I came down with a wicked cough, a bad sore throat, and an earache, and I'm wondering, Lord, where's your providence in all of this? What's working good with this happening right now. Also, I learned from my doctor about that time that I, I needed to go to a specialist whose specialty is the internal water systems of our bodies. And I have a schedule to go and see him. This text is for me and for every believer. And I believe it can be useful to us. Young or old, rich or poor, sick or well, alone or not. First century, 21st century. Turn with me your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. I want to read verses 18 through 30. My focus will be on Romans 8.28. In the light of the context we observe in this portion of God's Word. Look with me now at Romans chapter 8. Beginning with verse 18 and reading through verse 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation wakes eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, 
With perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. The same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Don't miss this next word. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, among whom and whom he predestined. These he also called, whom he called. These he also justified, whom he justified. These he also glorified. Let's pray. Father, it is your word. You know the needs of our hearts gathered here today. We pray that the Savior will be glorified as he has been uplifted in our praise songs of worship and thanksgiving. How we thank you already for the blessing of the musical part of our worship today. We thank you that we can come to you in our prayers and ask you to speak to us by your spirit this day. We pray for God's mercy and blessing upon our congregation, upon our pastor and his family, upon our church staff in these particular days. Our prayer is in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ, with thanksgiving. Amen. We're on a journey. We can call it a pathway. We each have our respective pathways. All of them differ. But we have a common word for each of those pathways. It can be called God's providence for believer pathways. Now, providence has reference in reference to Christians to God's special care of us in all of our experiences of life and in all the needs and issues and problems we face. It is a word from God. The scripture is clear that God's providence it's for the believer's pathway. And the word of the passage emphasizes the fact that God's providence is always for the believer's good. That's what the passage has to say to us. Now, this verse unfolds in three specific divisions. I would like you to notice, first of all, his plan. We see it 
in the phrase, all things. God causes all things. That's his plan. Moreover, we see in the text his promise. They work together for good. And we see also in our passage his people. The called, the passage tells us. So what does God have in store for us? We're respecting God's plan. It's twofold. Boundaries are addressed here. And events are given reference in our passage. Not a singular event, but all events. The Greeks had a special term for this, and I want to tell you it is all-inclusive. God has you as his child in mind, and all of the experiences that you go through. One of my little brothers this morning came up to me and told me that he was uh, looking forward to my message. And I gently reminded him in a teasing way, well, if I aim a barb in your direction, brother, don't duck for cover. <laughs> All things work together. For Another of my little brothers said to me he hoped that the message would have special appeal to his wife. And I reminded him, hey, bud, God might want you to make some adjustment. <laughs> God has all things in mind. I suspect that Paul wrote this, among other things, for the coming persecutions. There would be ten great massive waves of persecution that would sweep over the Roman Empire. Thousands upon thousands of Christians lost their lives for the king and for his glory. Even in death, God has purpose. So this plan covers all time, past, present, and future, and our time in glory. It covers your health. It covers your heartache. It covers your pains. It covers your miseries. It covers your disappointments. It covers your setbacks. It covers the economy that we go through. Jobs when they aren't working well. Several of you are businessmen, and sometimes the business doesn't seem to go well. But again, this passage is all-inclusive. covers our church ministry. covers our beloved pastor and his family. covers our family life. Parental and grandparent roles, all of it is included. Our skills, our intellect. It didn't take me long in my early years to realize there were a lot of people smarter than me and more talented than I was. And yet I eventually learned God is interested in using all of us committed to him, regardless of the IQ or the skills we have 
or the abilities that might be ours. All, all, all seasons like Christmas time. And notice regarding events, it says all things, which is sort of a generic word. He's emphasizing that every experience that the believer goes through, he has that in mind. Have you ever wondered why some are more popular than you might be? She's better looking than I am. I can't seem to break my bad behavior problem. I haven't found my dream. My disappointments linger and won't go away. My earnest prayer doesn't seem to get answered yet. Besides, the whole country is in the biggest mess you can imagine. When was there a time when our nation was more divided? And as Christians, we carry concern and prayers and so on. Hey, y'all. God has a plan. What might be God saying to our church, to our church staff, our elders, our deacons? You see, God's providence is always for the believer's good. No exception. Always. We come secondly to our passage, to his promise. What is significant? about his promise. We looked at his plan. Let us look now at his promise. And the passage is very clear to say they work together for good. All things work together. God has a togetherness feature and a goodness feature in his promise. You're like me, I love to hear the great musical compositions, classical and religious. There have been times when I was on the verge of weeping, listening to Handel's Great Messiah, one of the most majestic musical compositions ever given among men. But if you took the parts the musical notes isolated from themselves, from others. You wouldn't have the glorious harmony that you get when it's all blended together. So God is working like a composer. He's like a sculptor. I've never seen the statues in person, but I've seen pictures of Michelangelo's statue of Moses and his statue of David. And if you had looked at the stone before it was fashioned with his majestical hands, you would not be able to see what he was going to create. God is like that in your life and mine. He's working on you, and he's covering you, and he's fashioning you, and he's weaving you and me in his togetherness plan. He's like a builder. The significant special parts in and of themselves don't make a beautiful building. 
until it's put together. So you all, that need, that hurt, that failure, that disappointment, that triumph, that success has a togetherness plan. God ain't ever on vacation, y'all. Bad grammar, but correct theology. He has a togetherness plan, and it works. He's never out to lunch, never caught off guard. He's never unable to act. He's never unhearing. He's never uncaring. He's never without sympathy, love, and concern for his people. He's not wasteful. It's on. He never stops living, loving, and working on us. In one of Paul's writings, he refers to the believers, the letters of Christ. He's composing us to say what he wants us to say. In one passage, Paul expresses himself in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, we are afflicted, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. We are persecuted, not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul knew that God had a togetherness plan. But he also says they work together for good. And I want you to notice something this text does not say. It is not saying all things are good. Many things are very bad. We ask ourselves, why have I messed up badly? Why did I sin? What if I made a bad decision? What if I can't seem to get out of my present jam? The devil seems to be winning some victories and the flesh seems to be taking over in my life. Listen, God has a plan. And even when we have sinned against him, he works together for good in our personal lives. He works for pain. Dr. Dooley gave me a book this morning. I look forward to reading it. The title, if I remember correctly, How Pain Taught Me to Love. Did I get it right? I got it right. I'm going to read it. And pain can teach us to love. But what if I've messed up? What if the devil is working over me, trying to destroy my testimony, my home, my life? I know a couple in a marriage ministry. God is using. But some years ago, the husband in that family made a very bad choice, an immoral choice. It had almost destroyed the marriage. But somehow, God in his healing mercy 
working together for good, today that couple is successfully ministering to people in marriage problems and difficulties. God, you see, can work together for things that are good. Some 29 years ago, my wife urged me to go get a physical exam. A physical exam? Honey, I feel fine. I was busy working, felt robust. On to it. And she just insisted. She thought there was something wrong with me and I needed to go to a doctor and get a total physical. In fact, I went in the hospital overnight to have the test the next morning. A cardiologist came to see me. Never forget his name, Dr. Hurley Knott. He stood by my bedside in the hospital and told me about the results of the test. And he said, uh, you're going to need surgery. I said, well, sir, I'm a, I'm a professor and this new semester just started. Can we wait till the summer? He said, oh, no. I've already scheduled you for third Tuesday morning. This was Friday. And I had to make some rapid adjustments. I was teaching a full load at the college. And what was I going to do? And I had to go into the hospital and have a four-bypass surgery. Oh, Lord, there were some hurting days. But a few months later, I came back stronger and more vitality than I'd had in a long time. I didn't know of my need, but a skilled physician helped me. And during that time of convalescence, God spoke to my heart about my call to ministry. It became obvious in my teen years that God wanted me to preach and teach his word, which I've had the honor and joy of doing these many years. One of my preacher buddies when I was a a uh, younger fellow, and we were all preaching in a youth revival. He used the word spizarinkum. <laughs> it, it's not a word. He invented it. But God brought some spizarinkum to my ministry. <laughs> After that, he gave me a new zinger to respond to my call. It says things work together for good. And in my recovery time, it was a renewal to me of my call and my responsibility before God to continue to serve him and minister for him. Now, what might God be saying to our church, our church staff, our pastor, our elders, our deacons? This time-tested word in the text, God knows the good he wants accomplished in our individual hearts and in our church collectively. Yes, he has a plan, all things. All things. He has a promise. They work together for good, even at Christmas time. 
And then he has a people, and this word in Romans 8.28 is specifically for his people, to them that love God. And if we are exhorted to do anything as God's children, it is to love God. This is a specific word for Christian people. We're exhorted often and frequently in the scriptures to love God. Moses, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Joshua, take diligent heed to love the Lord your God. The psalmist, oh, love the Lord, you his saints. The gospels, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. This is a word for people that love God, that belong to him. I was speaking to anyone today and you've not begun to express your love to the Lord. You do not yet belong to him. I invite you to begin to love him. You can do this by placing your faith and trust in Jesus who died for our sins, was buried, and rose from the dead. So this is to people of faith. It can be costly sometimes to love God with all your heart. In Kenya recently, some radicals got on a public bus, and they asked who the Christians were. They shot every one of them and let the Muslims go free. It can be costly in some parts of the world today. But this love shows up in the home, shows up in the family, shows up in the workplace, shows up in our relationships. We love God. Want others to love him. As parents, we love to hear our children say, I love you, Dad. I love you, Mom. I love you, Granddaddy, Grandmother. I love you. We like those words. The father is like that. He likes his children to tell him, I love you, Lord. My life is on the line for you and for your glory. He delights to hear that. So the believer's commitment is expressed in the words to them that love the Lord. But I read another phrase in the passage, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, this is more than a mere invitation to call. It means we are summoned. We are summoned and given God's salvation. That's what it means to be called. For, as the passage says, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn. Now, this word foreknew, one of the great theologians 
of a past generation. George, you might have studied under Dr. Whitmer. Dr. Mitt Whitmer wrote, this does not mean that the Father foreknows what believers will do, but that God foreknows them and brings them into a meaningful relationship. So we are called, given God's salvation. The text also says, justified and glorified. Wow. Recently, we saw on the television the ceremony of the Heisman Trophy Award. That was a great honor for the young man who's the quarterback of LSU. We know that George was especially happy for that ceremony and the good record of his favorite team. Well, we have our honors. They come and go, even presidents. I've listened to the presidential speeches of many presidents over the years, and they all have their promises. They, they come and go. They have their day, and they become heart of history. But please notice something in this passage. It's not temporary. Whom he predestined, these he called, verse 30. Whom he called, whom he justified, and whom he justified. And justification means God pronounces us to be righteous. That's when the blood is applied to our sins. We are pronounced righteous in his sight. These he also glorified. Now I want to remind you of something about that verse. Glorified is in the past tense, as if it had already happened. I feel like saying amen. Not in a little week, but an amen. Glory to God. I love the way the Russians said, Hallelujah! They expressed themselves. I've heard the Russians sing and spoken in their churches on a missions trip and at times when I feel like saying hallelujah for what God has done, for what he is doing. Glorified. Notice something else. Nothing, no one is lost in the process. What does that passage teach us? That between the called and the glorified, no one is lost. That teaches a powerful security that the believer in Christ Jesus has. We're going to be glorified. We'll be like him. We won't hurt anymore. We won't sin anymore. We won't fail anymore. We won't create disappointments again. We won't worry and cry out. All of this and more is awaiting the believer in an ultimate good called glorification. You see, Satan wants us to. He wants to weaken our faith. 
harm my testimony. Neutralize our service. The Bible tells us clearly, resist him. While I was working on this message, I learned of a particular need in one of my more distant relatives' life. And it began to settle on my mind. And I'm thinking, Lord, I've got to preach about all things working together for good to them that love the Lord. Julie can tell when I'm stewing inside. I tend to be quiet about those things. She gently encouraged me that she didn't want me to be downcast because of the need of a family member. And I began to think through, Lord, what good do you have in mind with me carrying the need of a family member? And I want to tell you, he does have some things in mind. For example, I was reminded of the comfort that comes to the child of God in prayer. I can go to God with my heartaches and my burdens in prayer. In conversation with one of our church members recently, I came to a sharper understanding of what we read in Romans Chapter 8, verse 26, about the Spirit's ministry. There are times in the believer's life when we're so deeply burdened that we hardly know what to say to God. And we can be reminded that the Holy Spirit is an intercessor, is praying for us with groanings too deep to give verbal expression. What a God we serve. What a Savior. What a rich ministry of the Holy Spirit. The comfort of prayer we have. The mutual encouragement we can have between others of like precious faith. We need to remember the fruition of the Spirit. And I was reminded that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, meekness, gentleness, goodness, and so on. When we have those troublesome times, it's time to let the Lord really take over and be sensitive to what he wants to say and what he has in mind. I remember years ago, when I was reading and studying through 2 Corinthians, and I came to that verse in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. You might write it down and read it later. It says that God comforts us in our tribulation to prepare us to minister to others who go through similar experiences. That's part of God's working for good in our hearts and in our lives. And thanks be to God. God does have a good plan for us. 
When my children and my grandchildren were little, I'm father to five and a grand, grandfather to many more. And now I have, well, let's see, three great-grandchildren I have now. When they were little, I enjoyed taking them in my arms or bending over them and burying my face in their little neck and smothering them with affection and knowing the joy when the little peals of laughter would come forth from the expressions of love. Christmas speaks of a time when God buried himself in humanity with the gift of his love his son, the greatest gift ever. And the reception of that gift makes possible what we read in Romans 8.28. And as we grow in the Lord, we can experience that promise in greater, greater measure. We walk by faith. I don't know, God, what you're trying to do, but we walk by faith not by sight. And glorification is awaiting us. Well, again, what did I do with this promise? I've listed three things in the bulletin insert. One of them is confession. Yes, confession. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We may have been plagued with the sin of doubt, and it's hindering our walk with the king. Or any number of other things that might be hindering us. There's a second thing I suggest that can be done. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. We need to come to a new experience of believing, having faith, knowing that it's fruitful and it's for our good. There's a third thing. Ephesians 6, 7 talks about acting and rendering good service to the Lord. You see, when we're plagued with difficulties in our lives, it can hinder our service. Confession is needful. Faith is needful. And service is needful. Does God want us to be part of the good we can be part of that good that's working in someone else's life. I remember the cards and the encouragements and the visits when I was convalescing. What do you think might happen to Thad and his precious family if the children in Sunday school made some creative drawings to give to him? What do you think might happen if the youth planned to sing a favorite song and devote it to our pastor? 
or even put on a brief play. There are writers in this congregation, essayists who can write nice things. You have that gift and ability. It would be fun to respond to the challenge of what might be said to lift the spirit of our shepherd. There are artists in here. You might be able to create a special drawing that would have a particular ministry. There are poets in here. Does God want you at this time to write a special poem? All blended together for a special appropriate time. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good. And you and I can be alert to the good features of which we might be a part. Let's pray. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for the word of the Lord this day. We bless your name. We seek to glorify your name. We thank you from the depths of our hearts, Lord, that you are working all things for good to them who love the Lord. May that be a special memory and application to our hearts and lives according as we have need and especially at this time of the year. We humbly ask for Jesus' sake with thanksgiving. I invite you to sing along with this song. The song's usually as we sing about this great God that Dr. Hughley just talked about. This is a song that most of the time we have solos or the choir sings or something like this. But you all know it so well. So I invite you to sing with me, please. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver did you know that your baby boy would give sight to the blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Oh, Mary, did you know? The blind will see, the deaf will hear, 
the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb. Oh, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? And the sleeping child you're holding is the great I Oh, Mary.